Welcome to the Generations Church Podcast. This is Brian Nugent, and I'm the pastor at Generations Church. Thanks for listening today. We hope this message is an encouragement and blessing to your life. For more information about Generations Church and its ministries, check out our webpage at gctlh.org or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and Twitter. All right, all right. All right, take your Bibles this morning and turn to the book of Acts. Today, I'm doing a series out of the book of Acts, and this is kind of our seventh or eighth time. It's an expository series that you just take a book and you kind of work your way through the book. So I do that about once a year, pick a book and just kind of preach our way through it. So if you're new this morning, the book of Acts follows the resurrection of Jesus, it follows all the Gospels, and it is the story of the first 30 or so years of the church after the resurrection, okay? So we're about halfway through uh, the book, and so we're going to assume that, you know, that uh, about 15 years roughly has has passed since the beginning because the book of Acts starts with the, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost that we believe is still available for people today. We see, you know, the growth and the development of the church. We're going to talk about that this morning. Last week, our focus was we saw the importance of the church prayer meeting, okay? If you think that's irrelevant today, you are wrong that believers need to come together and pray. And let me tell you, man, we had a prayer meeting Wednesday night. That's what we do on Wednesday night. We worship and we pray. And I told them in staff meeting on Thursday, that was, what, that was one of the top ones that we had uh, Wednesday night. So come and pray with us. But that was an emphasis. Uh, that was an emphasis last week. So this morning... Uh, We're going to look at several different scenes that occur and stories that occur in Acts 15 and 16. And then at the end of the service, we're going to we're going to do some water baptism. So Acts 15 uh, verse 1, it says certain people came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching believers. Here's what they were teaching. Unless you were circumcised according to the custom taught by Jesus, you cannot be saved, okay? So if, if you heard uh, Brad's message a couple weeks ago, he talked about the church at, at Antioch. So everything that happened began in Jerusalem. That's where all the apostles were. That's where the explosion of the Holy Spirit on Acts chapter 2 happened. And then in Acts chapter 8, we read about the persecution that scattered all the believers. So a lot of the believers wound up in Antioch. And man, there was this amazing church that was developing in Antioch. So you had this, the mother church in Jerusalem, but you had this very strong church with lots of believers uh, in Antioch. So in the, in the church at Antioch, there were some new followers of Jesus saying that salvation was based on adding certain Jewish rituals. So they were going, yeah, I know you got your faith in Jesus, but there's something else that needs to be added. And they were saying this to the Gentile, you know, the Gentiles, the Gentile uh, uh, believers, you know, they, they were being saved. They were being filled with the Holy Spirit, but they were saying to the Gentile believers, hey, you've got to add this ritual or what you're doing doesn't count or you will eventually lose what you had. So they were trying to add circumcision onto, you know, onto salvation to the, to the Gentile believers. Well, I'm a practical person. That's a little awkward, isn't it? Hey, come down to the altar, give your life to Christ. Hey, uh, for all you men, if you'll just step in the back room and not scream. We would appreciate that. You'll start your journey in faith. Thank God today we just have baptism, right? So, I mean, I don't know exactly how, how that, that works, but people had been teaching Jesus plus. Jesus plus. It's Jesus. It's faith in Jesus plus something else. And that is not what is taught in Scripture, but that's what they were teaching, that it's grace 
plus a ritual, Jesus plus. It's grace plus something else that man can do. It's grace plus some kind of work, you know, some kind of work that, that man can add. So I'll talk about it a little more later, but they had this Jesus plus uh, mentality. So verse 2. So this brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them. So Paul and Barnabas were appointed along with some other believers to go up to Jerusalem and see the apostles and the elders about this question. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders to whom they reported everything God had done through them. Some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up and said, Gentiles must be circumcised and required to keep the law of Moses. So they have this meeting. The leaders from the Antioch church go to meet with the leaders of the Jerusalem church for collaboration and conversation and hopefully some kind of doctrinal consensus would emerge. But they, the elders in Antioch felt like you know, the, the, uh, the impact of this teaching was important enough where they needed to have a discussion about this and figure out, you know, because they're just assuming this would be circulating through all the other churches. So they just felt like we need to have a meeting and come up with some consensus. So at the meeting, we've got all these elders, but we see Peter and Barnabas, uh, Paul and James, they were some of these folks that spoke at the meeting. So they had this big meeting, and we Peter, Paul, Barnabas, and James are some of those uh, that speak. So here's kind of what happened in the meeting. So the apostles and the elders met to consider this question. After much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them. Brothers, some time ago, God made a choice among the Gentiles, among that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. God, who knows the heart, showed that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them just as he did to us. He did not discriminate between us and them, for he purified their hearts for faith. Now then, why would you try to test God by putting on the necks of the Gentiles a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear? No, we believe that it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved just as they are. So here, that is Peter's recounting. So when he stands up, he begins with the story of Cornelius. If you heard Bo's message a few weeks ago, Peter felt led and drawn to go to the house of Cornelius, who was a soldier in the Roman army. He's, he's as Gentile as, as you could ever be. He's on, you know, he's working, uh, you know, uh, uh, in, in Jerusalem at that particular point for the Roman government. Uh, uh, Peter feels led to go talk to him. He opens the door. Peter preaches the gospel to this Gentile family. They all come, become believers and followers of Jesus. And then they're baptized in the Holy Spirit as well. And Peter just tells that story just so the weight of, of this personal, it's not just doctrinal that he's trying to discuss, but he's had a personal experience where he's seen Gentiles come to faith in, uh, in Jesus Christ. And he concludes kind of his comment with, God knows the heart, he does not discrim discriminate, and he purifies all hearts. That's kind of the closing, his closing statement that Peter makes. And I love that because I think there's application for you and I today. So maybe you're here today and you did not come out of like a church background. You've seen all kinds of other people that have kind of been raised in church, but that's not you. And you've always felt maybe a little lesser than everyone else because you, maybe you haven't been raised in church or maybe you come out of a family that was very rough. You might even use the term dysfunctional. And man, you look at other families and you feel like a little less or that you've missed something along the, the way. Or maybe 
you have made bad choices and, and you've done things that you regret. You may even have a legal record uh, because of that. Well, I want you to know this morning that this, uh, what Peter said applies to you. God knows the heart. It doesn't matter where you came from, it's where you end. God's not looking at the origin of your life. He is looking at you through the cross of Jesus Christ. He says, God knows the heart. He does not discriminate. It doesn't matter what you do or what you have done or have not done. It doesn't matter about your family, your religious background. God does not discriminate. And then Peter closes with this because God purifies all hearts. He said, we believe it is through the grace of Jesus Christ that we are saved. So I want to tell you this morning, it doesn't matter about your background, what you've done or haven't done. Everyone here under the sound of my voice this morning qualifies for God's grace and everyone can be saved this morning. So Peter sits down, Barnabas and Paul, same meeting, Barnabas and Paul stand up. Verse 12, the whole assembly became silent as they listened to Barnabas and Paul and tell about the signs and wonders that God had done among the Gentiles through them. Now I'm sure Paul, when it was his time to talk, maybe added a little something to this passage because if you'll remember when Paul was saved, Saul was saved on the road to Damascus. The Lord said something to him that is very applicable in this moment. He told Saul, he said, I'm going to use you to be a light to the Gentiles. So from the very beginning, Paul had this call not only to Jewish peoples but Gentiles as well. So he wasn't sure how it would work out, how it would emerge. But Paul knew at some point he was going to be ministering to the Gentiles. And then he starts telling the stories about the interactions that he's had with Gentiles seeing, this sa seeing them saved. We talked about it last week we, we, when he had the interaction with Sergius Paulus and Bar-Jesus, the sorcerer. He went to Pisidian Antioch where he preached the gospel to Gentiles. He even saw a Gentile man that was healed so they are giving testimony of, of, of God's grace working with Gentiles as well. Verse 13 same meeting when they had finished James spoke up and he said listen to me Simon has described to us how God first intervened to choose a people for his name from the Gentiles it is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for Gentiles who are turning to God. Instead, we should write to them, telling them to abstain from food polluted by idols, uh, from sexual, telling them to abstain from food polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, and the meat of strangled animals. So James says, all right, so let's wrap this up. Why don't we do a circulating letter that will go to all the churches, to all the Gentile believers coming from all of the church in Antioch in Jerusalem, telling the Gentiles, you know, that these are our, these are our recommendations. Now, this was important because most of the Gentiles had come out of idol worship. They were Greek. You know, so they had come out of this entire kind of different kind of religious system. So uh, the letter recommends to Gentile believers to stay away from foods sacrificed to idols. Okay. So in the temple time when they would do like the, the big sacrifice, this would be kind of a big festival. They would eat the foods. They're, they're hanging out. You know, they're doing idol tailgating, if that's such a word, you know. Uh, so, so they said, hey, don't be around that. The food sacrificed to idol, that, that kind of ceremony, that kind of environment. It may seem harmless to you, but being back in that old kind of, you know, your old life, that's just not good for you. And plus, 
those that are the idol worshipers may look at what you're doing and think, hey, this new faith in Jesus can be combined with idol worship, so it may be a bad testimony as well. So they said, hey, uh, food sacrificed with idols. said, stay away from meat of strangled animals. There are spiritual reasons, but they're all health and sanitation reasons as well for them to, uh, to add that. And then they said, stay away from sexual immorality, which was a big part of the Greek kind of temple system. All kinds of adultery. It was never taught, you know, monogamous marriage. So it was adultery, sex before marriage. But around the temples, there was all kinds of temple prostitution, heterosexual, homosexual. So they, they said, stay away, you know, stay away from that. All right. But the big thing that occurred was that the church came to consensus about this. The church declares that a man is saved apart from religious ritual. Okay, They made the decision very early on, these Jewish men that had been part of this Jewish system their entire life, but had experienced the grace of God, that there was nothing that went along with salvation except faith in Jesus Christ. And I want to say, that is still the same message today. There is nothing that you can do to assist in your salvation, all right? You cannot write a check big enough to wash away your sins and make yourself right with God. You can't do it. You can't, you know, try to be a morally better person, so I'm going to Adopt a lot of children because that will mean something with God. There's nothing that you can do to assist in your salvation. You can't be more spiritually aware. You, you know, being environmentally conscious. Man, let me just tell you, you can have solar panels all over your house and that will not get you into heaven. Okay, there is nothing that you can do. The church declared then, and it's the same today. There is nothing that you can do to stand right before God and to have your sins washed away and have your name written in heaven than to trust the Savior, Jesus Christ, with your heart and your life. There's nothing that you can do. There's nothing that you can do. So Paul is in this meeting and he's hearing this back and forth. Because a few years later, Paul writes the definitive thesis statement when it comes to works and grace. And I'm going to read it because I, I think probably this moment when he was hearing this back and forth may have sharpened kind of his thinking here. Here's what he writes in Ephesians chapter 2. For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so no one can boast, period. It's all about the grace of Jesus Christ. It's all about faith in Jesus Christ. I told these baptism candidates this morning that baptism does not save you. It is not part of your salvation. It is faith in Jesus Christ. I want to say to you this morning, it doesn't matter about your background or what you've done or how you raised. We all are equal at the foot of the cross. And if you will express and open your heart up to Jesus, ask him to come in. He will save you and he'll give you a wonderful, abundant life. He'll do that. All right, so here's the actual letter. It's just a few verses, so I'm going to read it. So they, they had this letter. Here is the actual letter that they sent. All right, greetings. We have heard that some of you went out, uh, went out from, uh, from us without authorization and disturbed you by troubling your minds with uh, what they said. So we all agreed to choose some men to send to them, to send to you with our dear friends, Barnabas and Paul, uh, the men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus. We are sending Judas and Silas to confirm by word of mouth what we are writing. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit not to burden you with anything beyond the following requirements. 
You'll abstain from meat sacrificed with idols, from blood, from the meat of strangled animals, and from sexual immorality. You will do well to avoid these things. Farewell. Okay? That's the letter that they sent to circulate amongst the churches, uh, giving some guidance to Gentile believers, but also saying to the local church, this Jesus plus doctrine is wrong and false. Now, one, one thing that I want to just say about the letter, which I appreciate, you know, is the, the patience that they show with new believers, okay? And I want to just remind you, we need to be patient, more patient with new believers, okay? You know, like sometimes we've been believers 10 years, 20 years, and we see someone that's new in faith, and we want them running at the same maturity and the, the same speed that we are, okay? And we just need to be patient. They could have put all kinds of rules and laws that would have been beneficial to them, but they said, you know what? We don't want to put a yoke about their neck. So here's Here's the, the three basic, you know, the three basic things. So I want to say we want to be patient with new believers. We want to be prayerful with new believers. We, they don't need to walk at the same speed and maturity level that we do at this point. There may be some things that their life, you know, that, you know, that maybe make us a little uncomfortable, but just give them time and be patient because God was patient with you, Right? Right? All right. Keep that in mind. All right. Next part. Next part. All right. Sometime later, so we have, have a conflict doctrinally. Now we got some personal disagreements here. All right. Sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, let us go and visit the believers in all the towns uh, when we, which we were preached the word of God, the word of the Lord, and see how they were doing. Barnabas wanted to take John also called Mark, with them. But Paul did not think it was wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and left, uh, commending the believers to the grace of the Lord. So, wow. A very unusual, you know, uh, uh, group of verses here. So I want to say offenses and disagreements come to your life even with people of faith. From, they happen all the time from friends, you know, strangers, but also from the people of faith. It's just part of, you know, it's part of life. Sometimes even in the household of faith, you get your, your feelings hurt or you have a disagreement with someone. So this is what happened with Paul and Barnabas. So they are in charge of taking these letters around to the church and reading, reading these letters. So on the first time that they had done this, they had done a mission previously. A young man named John, who was a cousin of Barnabas, they went with them on the first missionary journey. But somewhere about halfway through, John left and he went, you know, he went back home. It's referenced in that uh, particular story. So when they start to leave for their second missions trip, Barnabas wanted to take Mark, his cousin, with him, but Paul did not like the idea. And it said the contention was sharp between them, okay? So they're having this disagreement. Can I just tell you that in life, especially disagreements when it comes to the household of faith, sometimes it is not God's will or not God's will. Sometimes it's personal preference, that's at stake, or competing biblical values. Like, so I can hear Barnabas going, Paul, he's young. He made a mistake. Let's give him a second chance, all right? We can understand that. And I can hear Paul going, look, I don't think he's changed or he's grown. The work that we're doing is, is too important for him to go with us again and then leave, all right? So you could see both sides of that. There's not necessarily in this argument God's will. Really, it's just kind of some competing biblical values about 
maturity and about second chances. So, man, this became very sharp between two good people. So look at how they handled this. It said they had sharp disagreement or they had strongly held opinions. Okay, now add to this dynamic, Barnabas was like the spiritual father to Paul. Do you remember first when Paul got saved? Man, and he couldn't get any traction anywhere. They took him as a young believer. They took him to Barnabas. And Barnabas is the one that took him to the church and introduced him around, used his personal reputation, you know, to, to kind of introduce him to the other believers. So they're just not colleagues. They're this maybe kind of mentor kind of relationship uh, with Paul and Barnabas. But they had sharp disagreement. They had strongly held opinions. So I said, sometimes it's not an issue of God's will, but it's an issue of personal preference or competing vi biblical values. Who is right? Who is wrong in that particular argument? You know, if I ask you, we would probably be, be divided on that. So they had sharp disagreement, strongly held opinions. They decided that the mission would be better served by going in different directions rather than keeping the conflict going. So it's sad. We wish they could have come to some consensus, but they both felt like, you know, that, they, that their strongly held opinions could not be, you know, swayed one way or the other. So Barnabas grabs Mark and goes one direction. Paul grabs Silas and goes to another direction because compromise just did not seem possible even with two godly people. Another thing, they did not speak about the issue or speak bad about each other, okay? Do you get that? So there may be times that you have disagreement. There may be times with someone of faith that you don't agree, that sharply held opinions, competing biblical values, you cannot find resolution. That's fine, okay? But we follow their model here that they did not speak about an issue or speak bad about one another. The mission, the message, and unity were the most important thing. Paul didn't get on his TikTok and said, let me tell you about Barnabas. He doesn't care. He, ha he has no values. Barnabas was not on his reel going, Paul does not forgive. He is hard-hearted. He preaches grace, but he does not, you know, practice grace. All right? Their contention was sharp. They made a decision to separate, but they didn't entangle it. Never in the scripture do you see when their paths ran across again. Man, they were about the gospel and the mission and the message. So, if you have sharp disagreement, there's division, that may, that may happen. There's no consensus. You don't see any way for compromise. That may happen. We, we can't always help that, but we can help keeping our mouth shut, our head down, our knee bowed, and going about the work of the Lord, okay? Colossians says, bear with each other. This is believers here. Bear with each other, forgive one another, for if any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ, God forgave you. So I want to say to you today, if at all possible, work hard at reconciliation, especially when it's the household of faith. But if that is not possible, we keep our mouth closed, we don't gossip, we don't slander, and we are working continually toward forgiveness and reconciliation. It may not happen in the moment, you know, but there may be opportunities down the road to come back together, pray together, forgive, and move on. So, <clears throat> uh, chapter 16. I just want to touch this just for a moment. It caught my attention. Paul came to Derby, and then to Lystra, where a disciple named Timothy lived, whose mother was Jewish and a believer, whose father was Greek. The believers at Lystra and Iconium spoke well of him. So Timothy's mother was Jewish, but she was a follower of Jesus. Timothy's father was Greek. So, man, if, you're, if you 
or you know, take world history, Western Civ, there are no two different lifestyles than the Orthodox Jew and the Hellenistic Greek. I mean, and here they are married in the same household, okay? That's like FSU husband and a Florida Gator wife. How does that happen? You need, you need some counseling there, all right? It's a huge, you know, Jewish believer in Greek. So you have conservative religion tied to the church, tied to the Old Testament. You have the Greek, the Hellenistic thinking, you know, that was, had this great sense of mysticism and almost anything goes as far as your moral life, almost non-religious. So you have one parent that is serving God, Timothy's mom, and you have the dad who is doing something else. So I want to just just talk just for a moment. If you're in a mixed faith family, or maybe you're the only one, maybe you're the only parent that's you know maybe serving the Lord. Okay, because th- there's some challenges here when there's two different religious beliefs in the household, or there's a challenge when you know you're a person of faith trying to serve the Lord, serve Jesus, and someone your spouse is not. So like, if you're a mixed faith family, just, I just have some thoughts here for you. Do what you can to serve God now. Okay. Accept the fact that you may not be able to serve or be involved in the church as much as you like. Okay. Do what you can. You can be as forward leaning as you can about your faith and about church attendance and service, but you got to know because of the situation, there may be times that you may not be able to do everything, you know, everything that you want. That's just going to be part of your life in this season right now. Pick your battles wisely, okay? We don't want this becoming a contention in the marriage. You're already there. We don't want to just walk toward divorce, you know, because we're having some issues of, about about religion and Christianity and faith, you know, in the household. So be wise. There may be some things that you want to do that you don't get to do, you know, so just be wise about that. Pray a lot, okay? You don't have the necessity, you know, the luxury, excuse me, you know, not to be a person of prayer because you've got all kinds of spiritual influences in your life. You've got all kinds of other moral, you know, uh, decision-making and, you know, like, let's just say the Jew, the Jewish and the Greek, you know, he's got his own kind of mindset when it comes to spirituality. The Jewish mother, she's got her own mindset. So I'm just saying to you, you want to be a person of prayer all the time because there's all kinds of spiritual and moral influences that are in your family and you need to be praying over your children. And then just live a consistent Christian testimony at home. You can't afford to be hot and cold, on or off, because the spotlight is on you. The spotlight is on you. You need to be as consistent as possible when it comes to, you know, how you live for God in the home because there's a spouse's eye that is on you and there are children's eyes uh, that are on you as well. And I know I know that can be difficult sometimes, so I just want to encourage you, all right? But here's the last thing that I want to say to you if you're kind of in a mixed faith family or one serves God and the other doesn't, okay? Keep in mind, one of the great leaders, pastors, apostles, Timothy, came from this mixed faith family, okay? Like, for you to go, man, that's just, it's just impossible. No, Timothy... This disciple that Paul saw great potential in came from this household with a Greek father and a Jewish believing mother. So I'm just saying to you today, man, don't just write your kids off. There's no way that they can serve God. No, you do what you can. You be wise in how you make choices. You pray constantly. You live for the Lord. And you never know that the seed of the gospel and the prayer that you offer and the testimony and the life that you live in front of them, you never know how that will impact a young child. So Timothy 
Timothy that you read about, you know, throughout the rest of the scripture came from a mixed faith family. My family was very similar to that. My, my dad very early when I was a child, he didn't go to church. I know he had four kids. My mom had four kids, you know, so here, here I am 10 and I'm the oldest one. Everybody else is younger, you know, the single, not single mom, but just the mom trying to get your kids up. Some of you know this story. Get, we were at Sunday school. We were usually late. You know, I didn't care. You know, it was fine with me. But trying to go to church, you know, she was faithful in bringing us up. We didn't get to always go to, to everything. She probably didn't get to tithe every dollar that she wanted to tithe. But she was, you know, but she was faithful in that. And later on, my dad, you know, came to, uh, to the church and, and to the Lord. But very early, very early, it was just my mom taking four kids. So I just want to say, if you're kind of in a mixed faith family, hey, I just want you to know, man, I'm praying for you. You can make it. I know it's a tough season, but I want Timothy to be the poster child, you know, in your mind that you can raise a godly young man or young woman, even if you don't have the spiritual and moral help of your home. Amen? All right, last, last verse here, last, last story. Verse 16. Paul and Silas. Once when they were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune telling. She followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, these men are servants of the most high God who are telling you the way to be saved. Now, most people would have said, that's a very spiritual woman, okay? Maybe some of you. She's godly. She did this for many days. Finally, Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and said to the spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. And at that moment, the spirit left her, okay? Now, I just want to... The, the last part of this scripture is the most famous one, but I just want to say this for a moment. So here's a young girl who was held in slavery to make money for her slave owners. The, the, the passage calls her a slave, okay? She's making money for her slave owners. She was exploited. She was taken against her will. Back then they called it slavery. Today we call it human trafficking, and it's still happening today. It's still happening today. The U.S. Department of Health and Human Services reports that each year there are about 30,000 cases of human trafficking that have been reported. Okay? 30,000 cases. The state of Florida is third in the nation in human trafficking. Most of that is in South Florida. So if you think this is a New York, Los Angeles thing, no, this is right here at home, okay? Uh, Tallahassee.com, back in um, uh, November of, of uh, 2020, had the headline, 170 people charged in a Tallahassee child sex networking, okay? So it's right here, okay? So if you think that's something that's far away, and I'm just telling you, all sin is bad, but there's just something extra horrible about enslaving young women, exposing them or making them sell their bodies or, or be involved in pornography. And I believe in grace, but I think they deserve every day in jail they get. Okay? So I just want you to know there's a horrible problem here. And we as a church, we're always looking for ways to engage and be more active because it's a horrible sin. Paul, Paul dealt with a spiritual part of that, which we will do that as well. But there's also these ladies need help in many, in many ways. And we're always looking to be more involved in human trafficking. So the young girl, she's held in slavery for profit. She's involved like with witchcraft and sorcery and black magic. And, you know, but it seems like her specialty for lack of a better term is telling fortunes and astrology, fortune, fortune telling, you know, looking at the stars and making some kind of uh, prediction in their life. And you know, people are still falling for this stuff even today. I mean, even today, people still pay 
money to try to figure out what's going to happen in their life. So if you go to your car one morning and you have a flat tire, okay, it is not because Venus was not in relation to Saturn according to your birthday, okay? Probably what happened is some nut driving around in a pickup truck with nails in the back. Every time I have a flat, I got to pull a nail out. I never have mysterious flat tires that I go, how did this happen? Well, the worlds must not have aligned according to my birthday, you know? So listen, I want to I say to you, you know, people are still doing this kind of stuff and making money today. But I want to say, you know, if you're involved with witchcraft, black magic, talking to the dead, sorcery, astrology, you need, listen to this pastoral warning, you need to stay away from that kind of stuff. It is curiosity, you know, that kind of lures you in and you can play with it, but there's a day that it will start to capture part of your heart and you will have dark days and dark moments because of you, you have opened the door to this kind of thing and you will not be able to stop or control the evil influence along the way, the demonic influences that you have opened your heart up and you will have to be delivered through Jesus' name just like this girl was. So I want to tell you as your friend and as your pastor, when it comes to, to black magic and all of those evil arts, you need to stay away from that. You need to stay away from that. So when her owners realize, man, that their free ticket is done, you know, like, She's delivered now. Man, they, they grab Paul and Silas, you know, from off the street and they take them to the courtroom, okay? They, they're, they're so upset that their, you know, that their livelihood through this girl, you know, has been taken away. So they take, they take him to the courtroom. Verse 22, the crowd joined and attacked Paul and Silas and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them into the inner cell and fastened, uh, fastened their feet in the stocks. So listen, Mob rule, number one, they were arrested, if that's what you want to term. People just turn that, they just grabbed them off the street. They took them to a court of law. There was no defense. There was no lawyer. There was a judgment that was pronounced. They were beaten, it, beaten with rods. They were severely flogged. They had open wounds. They were bleeding. They were, had loss of blood. This was, this was absolutely horrible. They put them in jail, put their feet in stocks. They didn't give them medical attention at all. I just want to remind you today when you take a stand for God against the culture and the prophets of the day, there will be a price to pay. There'll be a price to pay when you, when you make a stand like that. Here they are in jail. Man, no hope. No, no hope of anything no, uh, of the good. No, no, no bail. You know, no attorney. No one phone call, no lawyer, no time off for good behavior in this beaten and weakened condition. They are put and shackled in, in jail in verse 25. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. All at once, the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. So here they are in the condition that I just described. And I want to say it may sound similar in some way to your life. You may feel yourself knocked down, beat down, bleeding, hurt, disappointed, lied to, betrayed. Your back is against the wall. You feel like your life is in chains. But what did they do in that moment? 
they begin to lift a song and begin to give praise unto God. They begin to magnify the Lord. They had no reason. There was no hope of anything changing in their life. But in that moment, what did they default to? They defaulted to some prison praise. Prison praise. Some of you have never heard that. You've heard of prison whining, prison self-pity. What was I doing? I'm just serving God. Why am I here? I'm one of God's favorites. What's, what's going on? You've had prison doubting. I don't know if it's worth it. I don't know. I'm just, just trying to serve, serve God, you know, but, you know, but some of you have never had prison praise, but you've always had like paradise praise and beach praise and uh, bonus praise and promotion praise and all of the, it's easy to praise when things are happening and give thanksgiving. But I want to tell you this morning, there is a praise that arises out of your heart when you are at your lowest moment. Sometimes you don't have anything else going for you. You are standing by yourself and it's in that moment that the song of worship and the song of praise will begin to begin to flow and bubble out of your heart and I think prison praise and midnight praise is just the highest form of faith when everything else collapses around you man there is a song that just comes out of your heart and listen they were singing you know to worship God they were not singing to get out of prison it wouldn't help them in any way. But man, there was something in their lowest moment. There was a song of worship and a song of praise that began to rise up out of their heart unprompted. They didn't have a worship leader. They didn't have a playlist where they were at was not conducive to worship. They are shackled in chains. They're, they have blood flowing, you know, from their skin. But in that moment, man, down deep, there was a song of praise that began to rise up from their hearts. We need to learn a little prison praise. We're good at beach praise, right? God praise you that I'm at the beach in my condo. All right. They had done everything else. They had probably prayed, but it was midnight. What are they going to do? They begin to sing. They begin to praise God. They, it wasn't, they, they weren't in a church service, so this praise was not for anybody else. It was just an audience of one, and they were praying, and they were magnifying the Lord. I just want to say that to you. When you praise God, it is not for anyone in this building. It is for one person, and that is Jesus Christ. And it doesn't matter if it's off-key. You don't know the song. You don't like the style. You just sing it as unto the Lord. 27, the jailer woke up. Brent, worship team, you guys can come. When he saw the prison door open, he drew the sword. He was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. Paul shouted, don't harm yourself. We're all here. The jailer called for the lights. He rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He brought them out and asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved? My worship can have a powerful effect on other people, okay? My worship can have a powerful effect on others. So here's the jailer. He's about to commit suicide because these two very prominent prisoners are now freed and all the other prisoners, the earthquake, everybody's unshackled. He's about to have no prisoners at all. He realizes this is a very, this is a very difficult, you know, difficult moment. And he asked him, what must I do to be saved? Where did he come to that conclusion? Because echoing down the hall was some midnight worship coming from Paul and Silas. He's the one that shackled them. He saw the beating. He saw the blood. He saw the hopelessness of their situation. But yet in the midst of that, they begin to worship and they begin to praise God and it impacted his life. Can I tell you something? The song of hope from the believer during a season of adversity is one of the greatest testimonies that you can ever make to a non-believer. When they see your faith, your worship, your steadfastness when things 
aren't going well. He said, what must I do to be saved? And they said, believe on the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved. That's all it takes. He takes them home. He cleaned to his house. He cleans their wounds. I mean, we had, we had midnight praise. Now we got midnight salvation. Midnight salvations. He's cleaning their wounds. He's giving them a meal. He's feeding these prisoners while they are there. He's telling the story of what happened. All of his family is there. They hear about God's grace from these two beaten and bloody prisoners sitting in their living room. The whole house gets saved. They all get saved. And then they go baptize them. Man, we had midnight praise, midnight salvation, midnight baptisms. That's a lot of stuff going on. So I'm saying, you want to be baptized this morning? We don't care. I don't have a class. Just come be baptized this morning. It doesn't, it doesn't matter. But all of that came from prison praise from Paul and Silas. And I want to tell you this morning, if you're at your lowest point as a believer or, or a non-believer, you can call out to the Lord. I want to tell you, if you're a believer and you're going through a tough time, you can worship your way in the midnight hour, shackled in chains. You may not have a plan. You may not have, you may not have any hope at all. But I'm telling you, you just begin to praise and you just begin to magnify God. And I promise you, somehow, some way in your heart or before your eyes, you will, you will see God's hand move before you. I believe midnight praise and prison praise is still good today. I think it still works today. Would you stand? We're going to do a little midnight praise. We're going to do a little prison praise right now. We're going to do it right now. Psalms 107 said they cried out to the Lord in their trouble. He delivered them from his distress, from their distress. They called out to the Lord. Psalms 107, 13, they cried out to the Lord in their trouble. And he saved them from their distress. Psalms 107, 19, they cried out to the Lord in their trouble and he saved them from their distress. Before we do baptisms this morning, we're going to do a little prison praise today. Some of you, your back's against the wall. Some of you, man, you need God to move on your behalf. Some of you, you're away from the Lord. You don't know Jesus, but I'm just telling you a simple prayer and a, a simple act of faith. Man, God will transform your life. Thank you for listening to the Generations Church Podcast. We hope you enjoyed the message today and pray God's greatest blessings on you. For more information about Generations Church and its ministries, check out our webpage at gctlh.org or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and Twitter.